0: What is up, everybody, and welcome to Not Just Paleo. This is your host, Evan Brand. I'm happy to be back with you guys. This is pre-Paleo FX week. It's pretty exciting. This coming Friday, I'll be speaking with my friends Ben Greenfield, Nora Goudis, and a couple of other cool people on the topic of hacking stress, so... If you're going to be in town, I hope to see you there and meet you and shake some hands and hug people and uh, have a good time. It's really fun, so it's always good to get out of the digital world and see people in the real world, and if you're not able to make it, that's okay because this year they're doing live streaming, so you can go to not paleo.com slash fx. And that'll redirect you to a page to where you can get a viewing pass. I think it's like 20 or 30 bucks for a day. But it's worth it because I was there last year. And even just being in one fun uh, conference or meeting or speech, whatever you want to call it, just one sitting was fun. And just, you know, I basically had a notebook and a pen and just wrote down tons of stuff. So uh, don't think that you're... Uh, missing out. You know, it's kind of like the Super Bowl. Like if you actually went to the Super Bowl, you could probably have a blast, but you almost get better seats and better viewing at home. So that's kind of the same concept. But anyways, like I said, not just paleo.com slash paleo fx. That'll take you to the page to where you can buy a viewing pass for the whole weekend. So this podcast right now is with Dr. Tim Gerstmar and he is a naturopathic doctor And he studies and focuses on digestive health a lot. So people that are suffering from heartburn and GERD, um, constipation, diarrhea, IBS, Crohn's, or even just gas. Uh, He helps people with that also. I just had to pause the recording and try again because I was laughing so hard. Because an unnamed person in the room farted as soon as I said the word gas. (laughs) So anyway... Uh, Dr. Tim Gersmar, he's a really cool dude, and we had a great time talking. He also helps people with adrenal fatigue, uh, prediabetes, leaky gut, and many other of the digestive issues that we talk about on this show. So I think you'll enjoy it. And lastly, I know you're probably running or walking or doing something right now, but if you would stop and go check out REM Rehab. That website is really cool. There's a lot of other things that are going on besides my book that I just released and the audiobook with it. So I won't tell you exactly what's going on there. You have to go check it out for yourself. I know it's easy to just listen into a podcast and just like skip the so-called advertisement, but this is like a really cool thing going on there. So rimrehab.com is what you should check out. If you just click on book, you can get the book and the audiobook. book, um, but there's also some VIP stuff going on that's going to be coming up here in the future. So, thanks for tuning in and uh, go check that out. All right. I'm back here, folks, with a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Tim Gerstmar from Washington State and Aspire Natural Health with the motto work better, play better, live better. And he says life should feel good. So, hey, Tim, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Evan. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you were just telling me but I told you to be quiet so I could act surprised on the podcast. So uh tell people a little about your history and how you got into becoming a naturopathic doctor.
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I'll keep it brief cuz this my I it could be a long story, but but in brief you know, I'm, I was one of those guys, I took six years to get a four-year college degree because I couldn't figure out what to do with myself. Uh, I eventually, to my parents' great displeasure, uh, settled on a philosophy degree because I really enjoyed the classes and thinking through um, topics and wrestling with big issues um, and, like, the logic of breaking down arguments and everything. Um, I was probably going to proceed down that path when life knocked me out of out of it. My dad had a severe stroke. I ended up having to come home and be a caretaker for him for uh, about a little over a year. And in that time, you know, I got to see minutely conventional medicine. And then, um, you know, insurance ran out and all the therapies and stuff ran out. And so my mom and I... Started investigating some alternative uh, alternatives. Would acupuncture be helpful? Would biofeedback be helpful? Would all these different things be helpful? And um, I started researching it. And the more I dug into it, like just broadly, the more interested I got into it. Short story, cut, cut in the short story by the time I was done caretaking for my dad, I knew I wanted to go into medicine. So I approached a couple of MDs I knew and talked to them. And they said, for God's sake, don't become an M.D. Like it, you go in with noble intentions and the system doesn't let you do what you want. So I investigated a lot of different options, chiropractic, osteopathic, acupuncture, and I settled on this little profession uh, that I discovered called a uh, naturopathic doctor. And uh, in brief, that's how I got into this thing.
0: Wow. So how did, how did your dad have a stroke, do you think? What, what caused that?
1: Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Um, he was in surgery, and the anesthetic caused uh, a, an irregular heartbeat called atrial fibrillation. Yeah, that's where the um, part of the part of the heart doesn't beat properly, and so blood just tends to sit there; it pools up and then clots form, and then when those clots get ejected from the heart, uh, in the, his case, they went into the brain and caused a stroke. Wow.
0: So. See, my grandmother, she mm-hmm. she has AFib now, and supposedly, mm-hmm. according to all the tests they've done, that she's had it for a while now. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they got her on meds for that. Sure. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I mean, look, AFib can be, it can be really dangerous, you know? And obviously, if someone's had it for a long time and it, it's— relatively stable it's kind of it's a little bit different from um you, you know like an acute episode of afib uh but it puts you at bigger risk of clots yeah. you know and so it's sort of like a lot of people you know are really in in kind of the natural health circles we tend to run in a lot of people are super against drugs you know and i I when I came when I first went into school and a little bit when I came out I was really against the use of drugs too like hey natural natural we can solve all our issues food lifestyle herbs all right we can solve it all and you know what being in practice for a while has shown me is that the way I look at it the way I explain it to people is we have a toolbox right you got your hammer you got your you got your screwdriver you got your pliers and everything same way with natural medicine. We got diet, we got lifestyle, we got herbs, we got nutrients, and then the drugs are there too. And so it's like, you know, drugs can be like a chainsaw, right? Not a tool you're going to use on an everyday basis for a lot of things. Like, you know, you need to get a screw out. A chainsaw, you could technically probably get that <laughs> screw out, but like, you know, tons of collateral damage, right? But same way, if you've got to chop down a giant tree, like, If you have a hammer, you could probably eventually like chop down the tree with a hammer, right? But you're just gonna be working at that thing forever. So, you know, a situation like AFib or other serious issues, you know, big autoimmune diseases and everything, not at all discounting diet lifestyle, all those things we talk about, they're critically important. But you gotta look at the cost-benefit analysis, right? AFib puts you at risk for blood clots. Blood clots are not, not cool. You have pulmonary embolisms. You can die from those. You have strokes. You can die or be permanently disabled like my dad was from a stroke. And so it's a little bit of cost-benefit. And you know what? The drugs may be, may be the best option. Yeah. Now, you can always do stuff, on layer on top of that diet, lifestyle, herbal medicine, all that stuff. And maybe you resolve the AFib or, or maybe not.
0: Yeah, you know? so it makes sense so. why they add the blood thinner in there too then. Right. Right. Wow.
1: So they want to use drugs to try and res- try and keep that rhythm normal, and then they want to put blood thinners in just to make sure. Hey, if you get a clot, these blood thinners help to break it down and make sure that you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't gum up the pipes. Wow. So, that's
0: yeah. That's crazy. See, you make really yeah. good analogies, man, and that that means automatically you know your stuff because Einstein said that if you can't explain it simply, that you don't understand it. Well,
1: yeah, I try. And look, you know, one of the faults, and I I learned this the hard way of going to lots of doctor's appointments with with both my parents, uh, that people have a tendency to nod their head when you talk to them, even if you're using big, giant medical words. And then my favorite was when we walked out of an appointment and my mom looked at me because she knew I was in medicine, and she said, what did he say? And it was like, you just nodded your head and told him you understood what was going on. And yet you had no idea. So that was like my wake-up call to learn to talk in normal language, not doctor-speak, because, you know, uh, if people walk out and then doctors, like, shake their fist because they can't get patients to do anything, and part of the reason is because the patient doesn't understand what they're supposed to do in the first place.
0: Right. You know, also, I think a lot of people fear their doctor, too, and when— in, in in a uh, a sort of like a God way to where, sure. you know, they see the white coat and they're like, oh, God, this dude knows his. St-. It's almost like seeing a celebrity. Right. You know, when the doctor walks in, you got to go through the first lady to check your blood pressure. You got to right. deal with the appointment making. And all of a sudden God himself walks in. Right. And you're just going to bow down and listen to every single thing he says. Right. And it's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, so there's definitely an authority, you know, uh, a dominant, subservient kind of relationship that, for the most part, I try and sidestep in my practice. Because, I, you know, I want people who are in, in, engaged in what, you know, you got to be a partner in what's going on. Because we go beyond just saying, okay, take this pill, right? You know, and uh, so, but yeah, yeah, people tend to hold doc for good and for bad, right? People tend to hold doctors in high regard. And that doesn't mean, you know, you get people who are anti-doctor. Like, look, doctors work hard. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money, you know, trying to do what we do. And, um, you know, but don't overprivilege us at the same time because we're just human beings and just working hard to try and do our job.
0: Yeah, you know? definitely. So do you, do you avoid the white coat or do you wear one?
1: No, I don't wear the white coat. Yeah. I don't think you know, white coats came around because it was because of blood and everything, right? So if you get blood on you and you're wearing white, you can see it, right? Or other bodily fluids, uh, you know, urine or whatever, right? I mean, that's where it first came from. You wore white because you could know if stuff got on you. And, And it conveys a sense of cleanliness and everything else. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I can make someone's blood pressure typically go up like 10 points by putting a white coat on. That's incredible. Uh, you know, just because, yeah, people get scared. Like going to the doctor isn't the most fun thing. I totally recognize that. I mean you're hoping they're going to give you an answer to your problem and nothing is really wrong with you. So you're freaked out, you yeah. know. So no, nah, I don't wear a white coat. I wear I wear a tie and a nice shirt um, to convey how m- the professionality of what I do. Uh, but no. Nah. There's no need for a white coat, in my opinion. If you're in a hospital, that's a different story.
0: Yeah, definitely. I saw a comic the other day, and it was talking, it was like a doctor, I don't know if it was a doctor talking to another doctor or what it was, but they were kind of joking around and saying that like a lot of their, I guess, I don't know, maybe you can vouch for this or not, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is people just kind of freaking out or maybe overestimating things that are wrong with them and end up going to the doctor.
1: Well, I mean, look, the conventional community has this population, and they make fun of people like me as a naturopathic doctor, that all we do is serve what's called the worried well. So people who are really well or fine, but they're worried they're sick, so they come to see you know, people like me. And so certainly, look, there's a level of hypochondria where people really are like, you know, well, this itches. Could it be cancer? And it's like, "Mm, no, you know, I mean, like there are people who take it to an extreme, but just like the whole orthorexia thing, right? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, explain it
0: to the listeners, though.
1: Sure. So this psychologist, like I want to say, like ten years ago, coined this term. It's not an official medical term, but coined this term called orthorexia. So people have heard of anorexia, which is a serious eating disorder where people, you know, don't eat; they starve themselves. Um, And then there's orthorexia, which is people are so consumed uh, with healthy eating um, that, you know, they don't – they won't eat regular food or, uh, you know, and it's often used – I mean, there are people who legitimately are orthorexic. I mean, who are so consumed with food rules, uh, whatever they may be, but food combining or that it has to be perfectly organic, grass-fed, you know, not a molecule of anything else can – touch their lips, um, that it severely impacts their lives. But then it's also used um, just to bash on anyone who's health conscious and watches what they eat. I mean, if you turn down a cheesecake, it's like, oh, well, you must be orthorexic. And you're like, shut up, you know, just like we don't need to eat cheesecake every day, right? right? So in in the same way, people worried well, people are interested in being preventative for their health and not getting metabolic syndrome and not getting diabetes, you know, and reducing their risk of heart attack and stroke, you know, aren't worried well. Yeah. Out there. Yeah,
0: we cut okay. out. But no, I wanted okay. to ask what happens to make people hypochondriacs, like, do you know, like, maybe on a biochemical level, like, what could be going on in the brain? Could you have too high of something, a certain neurotransmitter, or too low of something beyond just uh, maybe social programming to cause people to be hypochondriacs?
1: Sure. Well, look, uh, I mean, a couple things. So, a person who is hypochondriacal in nature, very worried about their health. On the one hand, they're going to be more of an anxious disposition, Right. So people who are just more naturally wired to be anxious. And so we do a lot of simplification of the brain and talking about neurotransmitters. And we have to be a little bit careful because the brain is like so complicated. I mean, there's the neurotransmitters that act um, as excitatory or stimulating. And then there's the neurotransmitters that are sedating or calming. And so in a very simplistic way, there's going to be an imbalance between the two. Whether that's an excess of excitatory neurotransmitters that overstimulates the brain and kind of puts it on edge, or a deficiency of those sedating neurotransmitters, so the brain can't calm itself down properly.
0: Yeah, you know, makes sense. And so a and lot then, of people. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. You probably have a oh, good I was just, point.
1: Well, I was just going to say the one other thing is usually in those people's lives, there is some environmental stimulus. Like I'll give you one example of a patient of mine. She's not a hypochondriacal, but her mother died of uterine cancer. When it was found, uterine cancer is one of those cancers. that. uh, I'm sorry, I said that incorrectly. It was ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer is one of those cancers that typically isn't found until very late in the game, like pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms are really vague. So bloating is one of the – like people who have a lot of bloating uh, – sorry, people who have ovarian cancer, one of the symptoms is commonly a lot of bloating. But as you can guess, like a million and one things can cause people to be bloated. And so she is very vigilant about like, you know, checking for those kind of symptoms because she saw her mother be diagnosed, took care of her through chemotherapy and ultimately, you know, uh, dealt with her death and everything. So someone who's anxious by nature and then has some sort of experience like that, that often will prime them to be more you know, um, more on that hypochondriacal spectrum.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so. definitely. Also I was going to mention, you know, mm-hmm. excessive coffee, all the people that are drinking butter coffees all the time, not knowing mm-hmm. that they're, you know, maybe propping themselves up or maybe hyper stimulating yourself. What's your take on, on that?
1: On call, co- on call, co- well on co- coffee's coffee is a double-edged sword a little bit, right? So, You know, the old school kind of alternative natural health thing was that coffee is bad, and and that's just not really true. In general, coffee has some really beneficial and protective aspects to it. and We've shown, you know, pretty – it's largely epidemiological evidence, which means just looking at populations, and you have to be very careful – Of overstating it but you know consistently kind of the evidence suggests coffee is protective against diabetes and has some beneficial effects and it's probably likely you know all the beneficial plant compounds that are in coffee and again like people can abuse coffee like we know some people are fast fast caffeine metabolizers some people are really slow caffeine metabolizers so Some people can, you know, drink a cup of coffee like right before they go to bed and it doesn't seem to affect them too bad. And other people, they drink a cup of coffee in the morning and their sleep is disrupted, you know, that night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Actually, I made a whole chapter in my book. It's not out yet. It's almost out, but it's called Rim Rehab, this book that I've been working on, on sleep. And I wrote Mm -hmm. like a whole part of the chapter about all the different factors that can actually like increase or decrease caffeine metabolism and it's actually really mind-blowing like different races you know they metabolize uh, i think it was asians that metabolized it much slower or much faster Mm. and as well as like uh, nicotine for example so if somebody's smoking cigarettes you always see cigarette smokers drinking coffee right and i found out that uh, you know Uh, Cigarette smoking increases your caffeine metabolism by like 50% or something Mm -hmm. crazy. And so Mm -hmm. they're going to go for the second cup way quicker than the average person. So it's really crazy how you start compounding things that don't seem like drugs or chemicals that are. And then it's, you know, all that adds up to, I guess, one very good or one very bad puzzle piece
1: of health. Sure. Well, the bottom line that I usually tell people is this. If you enjoy coffee, but you don't need coffee, then you're probably you're probably okay. If you need coffee to function, then you're not in a good place. Like, right? You're the coffee if you can't function in the morning until you have your morning cup of coffee or you can't function throughout the day without your coffee your energy drinks or your other sources of caffeine you're using that as a crutch to keep yourself going and you better do the underlying work that you need to do if however you enjoy the ritual the taste of coffee you have a cup of coffee if you had to skip that cup of coffee you could just get on and function in your day and everything you're probably you know using at least the caffeine component in a in a reasonable way
0: right yeah when it comes to like pancreatic cancer and uh, all, all of these cancers it seem mm-hmm. to keep rising with the you know I'm, I'm saying it's probably due to the hundred thousand plus identified chemicals in the environment but do you yep. I mean can you pinpoint what's going on I mean can can the person eating a solid diet with a great lifestyle tons of melatonin tons of dark mm-hmm. night sleep can they be mm-hmm. protected or ultimately are we all susceptible
1: Well, I think there's, you know, the reality is this. I always tell people, so we've got two sides of the argument, uh, of this broad argument, right? And it's genetics versus environment. And conventional medicine pretty much says it's all about genetics. For the most part, environment doesn't really play much into it. And then on the, so mostly it's like, hey, you got screwed, you got bad genetics. And then on the natural health, alternative health kind of side, the kind of flaws to the other extreme that says everything is under your control if you just tweak your diet and lifestyle and supplementation enough, like you never have to suffer anything, right? And I think both of those viewpoints are harmful to people. Health is, there's two parts to health. There's the part we can control, right? That's our diet, that's our lifestyle, uh, that's our supplementation. There's the part that we can't control that's our genetics and some other you know epigenetic factors and other things you know that are out of our control. And so what i always tell people is look there is no such thing as superman. You're not going to be no matter how perfect your diet and lifestyle is you're not going to bounce bullets off your chest, right? You're not going to leap tall buildings in a single bound. But game is like you know or excuse me life is like a game of of poker or i guess that's a bad odds but you're gambling at a casino right Uh, short of cheating you can't force yourself to win at a casino you can make you can do things to make your odds of winning better and your odds of losing lower similarly so pancreatic cancer all the other cancers like if you do you know if you sleep well if you eat a good diet that's nutrient dense and full of <laughs> full of nutrients vitamins cofactors plant chemicals animal chemicals all the rest nutrient density if Uh, you get, you know, exercise, if you watch your stress levels, if you're social, if you get out in nature, if you get sunshine, if you do all these things, you're tilting the deck in your favor. Does it mean you absolutely won't get cancer, autoimmune diseases, or the rest? No. Sometimes, despite your best efforts, you know, bad things happen. But, uh, you know, we just play the game. And we try and and do as much as we can to make the odds in our favor that we're going to live a long healthy life you know with good quality of life
0: yeah don't don't take me uh, don't take me as some sort of like voodoo guy or something yeah. or some yeah. sort of like projecting onto you type guy but yeah. say you found out you had i don't know you can make up something some type of yeah. cancer what would you do
1: sure. well so that's a great question and and the answer is so you know it is going to be kind of vague but the reality is first and foremost Uh, The way I lay it out is first and foremost, diet and lifestyle, right? To the greatest extent possible, diet and lifestyle are the things that allow us to be healthy. So, just like we just said, you know, good nutrient dense diet uh, as much as possible, Uh, enough sleep, again, as much as possible, some exercise as much as possible, trying to watch those stress levels as much as possible, maintain the social connections. Uh, as much as possible, then then I would layer on top of that herbal and nutritional medicine specifically tailored to what's going on. And then on top of that, depending on the cancer and what's going on, is surgery, chemo, and radiation, you know, and then biological, the biological drugs as well. So, in short, I would do whatever I needed to do to give myself the best odds to beat the cancer and get better. Yeah, yeah, that's a good
0: answer, yeah.
1: So... You know, and if it works for you to do Gerson and coffee enemas and stuff, like more power to you. But uh, I'm going to do everything I can. And just like that toolbox, you know, chemo is terrible, but it has its time and its place. And so, again, it's that cost benefit analysis of of trying to. and, And this is super hard for me as a doctor, a medically trained person, it's even harder for people who are just thrown into it and don't have that background. But, you know, you got to try and get a good team behind you of, you know, educated people, um, and, and try and make the best decisions based on length and quality of life.
0: Yeah. How about the, uh, the Rick Simpson hemp oil? Have you heard or, or, seen anybody work with that? Cause I mean, you're in Washington state yeah. and I guarantee yeah. it's going to be sold pretty soon, but you know, he's been kicked out of the country because, uh, I don't know. We won't get to uh, conspiracy, but certain people may have booted him out of the United States for uh, the whole documentary that he produced called "Running from the Cure," where he's actually had testimonials, you know, from mm-hmm. these eighty-eight-year-old guy that said, you know, he had a couple days to live and then he was cured from this stuff.
1: Wow. No, I'll be honest. I I haven't seen it, and I don't really know much about it. I mean, I've I've heard it out there um, that people are talking about it, and and. You know, not to go off on on medi- on marijuana and its medical uses, but, it, you know, it is uh, a plant medicine. It's got some powerful components to it, so it certainly at least is possible that uh, some of those components are useful in treating cancer, and, and we can get off cancer here in a second, but the other thing, like a lot of diseases, cancer isn't, you know, one thing, and so what, you know, may work well for one thing, you know, everyone wants the Cure for cancer, yeah, and there isn't the cure for cancer there's going to be you know many different combinations of treatments that are useful for various types of cancers yeah and Tim you know uh, I, I don't mm-hmm.
0: know, I don't know if you'll agree with me I, I'm guessing mm-hmm. you may mm-hmm. the, the 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 cure to cancer is never going to come from a scientific laboratory that's synthesizing uh chemicals you know petroleum based or whatever based chemicals
1: well i'm going to argue i mean a couple things so you know obviously and this the the best treatment for cancer is never to get cancer you know right so and again what we can control is diet and our lifestyle and then smart supplementation basically on top of that are the things that we can do to try and avoid getting cancer and then can synthetic drugs be useful in the treatment of a cancer yes i believe they can so i'm going to agree and disagree a little bit with you at the same time so like that chainsaw or that stick of dynamite there are certain instances where those compounds those tools can be really useful Mm -hmm. but you know within certain contexts yeah yeah good
0: point good point okay I want to talk about stress before we get into uh, one of my favorite body parts the adrenals so Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about how stress impacts the brain and how it impacts digestion because I've seen the chart to where you Mm -hmm. have you know basically nerves that are going down to your gut which accredit the yep. gut feeling. And uh, when I figured out that the nerves actually run down there, I was pretty amazed. So can you talk about, I don't know, maybe give us uh, the endocrine system 101 or something before we talk <laughs> about stress and, and digestion?
1: So what do, you, what do you, you want the endocrine system, or do you want me to talk a little bit about digestion and the brain?
0: Yeah, let's do, uh, let's do the endocrine system first, and then if you have time, we'll, we'll, we'll do digestion in the brain also.
1: Sure. So the endocrine system is pretty big. Is there anything? I mean, so, you know, I mean, at the most basic level, right, we just have, you know, our bodies are made up of like are a big collection of cells, whole loads of them from your toe to the, you know, from the end of your toe to the top of your head. And they have to communicate with one another. And there are basically two ways that cells communicate, and one is by using nerves, right? So that's, I mean, that's your brain in a nutshell, this big collection of nerves, goes down your spine, sends little wires, if you will, out to all the different parts of your body, communicating various messages. And then, of course, the second way is by hormones. So then each of the cells can release various hormones, and then we have different glands, like a lot of people have heard of the thyroid gland, right, in your neck, and that makes thyroid hormones. Those hormones then travel through your bloodstream and and go to all the cells of your body, you know, carrying different messages. So there was a researcher a number of years ago now called Candace Pert, um, did a lot of research on hormones, and she actually named hormones uh, informational substances. So substances that carry information, uh, all throughout your body. So, you know, thyroid hormone has one message, different adrenal hormones have other messages. Um, and that's how, you know, those hormones and nerves are how, um, your body coordinates itself. Wow. That's
0: a good way of putting it. As soon as you say that, I thought of leptin, the fat sensing hormone and how it's Mm -hmm. giving you the message that you're full. That's really cool. That's a, that's a good way to put it.
1: Right. So yeah, leptin tells the brain, Hey, we've got enough, uh, we've got enough fat here. Or, or its absence is saying, hey we're running dangerously low on uh, on stored body fat and we're in danger of starving to death yeah. so yeah yeah wow.
0: okay yeah let's let's talk about these nerves that go to the gut sure. and, and how this whole process works because I mean I've been to the point in my life and I guarantee you have and others have too to where you can feel the stress in your gut and it's oh, yeah not fun so let's yeah. let's talk about
1: that. Sure. So I mean, there's two important things to know. The first is that we have what's been called the second brain, right? Obviously, we have a brain in our heads. But then we were kind of stunned to just the meta by we, I mean, the medical community in general, to realize that we have, if you will, brain cells, nerve cells in our digestive tract. And it's called the enteric. Enteric just means the, the organs in our abdomen, basically, the enteric nervous system. And if you kind of gathered up all those nerve cells and sort of smushed them into a brain, you would have basically a cat sized brain. So I always like to tell people, basically, we've got the brain in our heads. We have a second brain about the size of a cat uh, that lives uh, – a cat's brain <laughs> that, lives, uh, that lives inside our digestive tract called the enteric nervous system. So uh, that, that's, that's one
0: – Yeah, that's amazing, by the way. But yeah, yeah keep going.
1: Totally amazing. Seriously. Um, the second piece is that we have – there's one big nerve in particular called the vagus nerve nerve. Vagus uh, is from Latin. It means the wanderer because if you anatomically, like if you go to an a- anatomy book and you flip it open, you look for the vagus nerve, it comes out of your skull um, and it winds its way all the way down from your skull basically um, to, to almost the bottom of your intestines and it hits your heart and your lungs and then it gets down into the intestines themselves and so we've got, uh, we've got two different ways if you will um, the brain or our brains uh, uh impact our digestive system one is the di- the the brain the cat brain that we have in our digestive system, and then the second is the vagus nerve um, which so when people get stage fright right if you're like you have to go up and give a big speech and you 're kind of freaking out. Um, mentally, and then your bowels are all like freaking out, right? You feel like you, you may or may not have diarrhea. You feel <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, you're having spasms in your bowels and lots of rumbling and everything, right? That's the vagus nerve, uh, conveying, uh, that neurologic state from the brain down to the digestive system. Wow. So, now
0: um, I, I want to spend like probably five or 10 minutes here. Cause this is really awesome because you know, I, well, you don't know, but I'm saying you know is one of those stu- mm-hmm. those stupid filler words that people mm-hmm. use when we talk. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm getting better at it. So oh, good. I got my 12-year molars out. Now, wisdom teeth were gone three years ago. All four 12-year molars, super crazy, impacted, like .001 of the population has it. All mm-hmm. four of them were gone. Mm-hmm. And so my friend Beverly told me that, oh, Evan, you're going to be screwed when you get this surgery because the vagus nerve is so close in there. So... Mm-hmm. Is that a a permanent effect you think or uh does that thing recover? I mean removing teeth like that and maybe stimulating or kind of tickling that nerve. What's the effect?
1: Uh that's a great question. I mean I don't I don't know specifically regarding wisdom teeth and the vagus nerve. I'll be honest with you. Um I, you know, I haven't seen anyone no one has come to me and complained of digestive issues uh you know, following uh specifically like following Uh, you know wisdom teeth extraction basically other than the antibiotics and other pieces that you know can do a a real number on the digestive tract you know nerves in general can definitely heal themselves they're a really slow healing tissue um, and it like any tissue if the damage is too extensive they probably can't heal themselves back up but um, you know one of the theories, and I just want to make sure this is a theory, we don't know this, but one of the theories behind gastric bypass, so, um, you know, obviously, I hope people know gastric bypass, they, are um, various procedures, they pretty much, you know, carve the stomach into a tiny little pouch, um, usually for extremely obese people who are kind of knocking on death's door. Um, with the risk factors they have. And what they found is independently of losing weight, um, like most of these people have diabetes, independently, even before they start losing weight because essentially they're on a starvation diet because their stomach is so small, their diabetes tends to get normal. And they think, or at least some people think, um, that the surgery actually damages the vagus nerve and it's that altered function of the vagus nerve um, that, start, that starts to cause those beneficial reactions um, that, that people are seeing right away, independent of weight loss. And then, of course, because um, this is a big topic that I love, um, it changes the gut. It obviously changes the gut bacteria, and those play a big role as well. That's so.
0: incredible. Yeah. 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 See, I've actually heard some stuff. Now, I don't know if this was like regarding damage to the vagus nerve or what, but mm-hmm. I, I heard mm-hmm. it might have been a natural, natural-oriented natural doctor or dentist, mm-hmm. I mean, and he mm-hmm. was talking about gargling really, really hard and, uh, and trying to just hum or sing really loudly. Mm-hmm. To stimulate that vagus nerve, would you know of what that would do?
1: Well, I mean, generally, so we're gonna, you know, the vagus nerve, uh, you know, controls or um, is is uh, stimulatory. Generally, stimulatory to the digestive tract, right? Oh, so, okay. I know, I know, we were gonna talk about stress, and so um, if you let me segue a little bit, uh, you know, our nervous system has two, two. Parts to it, it in in broad broadly what's called the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and people hear sympathetic and they think of sympathy like being you know sympathetic to someone it, it has nothing to do with that our sympathetic is our fight or flight response so that's our stress response when something startles us scares us or uh, or, or really revs us up that's the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system. And so the signal in, in that reaction, the body is going to send blood to the muscles Uh, to power us to run away or fight, you know, the tiger or the lion or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's going to divert energy and blood away from the digestive system because if you're running away from a saber tooth tiger, you you don't be digesting your food because you're either you will survive or die. Um, and uh, on the opposite side of things, the parasympathetic nervous system, um, Not fight or flight, it's rest and digest. So it does the exact opposite of what the sympathetic nervous system does. It takes blood away from the muscles, sends it to the digestive tract, uh, and it's about relaxation, digesting, and enjoying our food. And so a lot of those effects uh, on the digestive system are mediated through the vagus nerve. So...
0: Yeah, Tim, you sound so pumped up. I don't want you to be in the sympathetic <laughs> mode right now. I yeah. want you to be
1: in the parasympathetic. Oh, I appreciate no. that, man. I'm excited because I love this stuff, and uh, and I'm not eating any food or trying. And I ate my lunch hours ago, so I'm not trying to actively digest food right at the moment. So, but <laughs> but thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so, no problem. Yeah,
0: well, yeah. Let, so let's talk about what happens to the adrenals. Uh, I'm not smart enough, I don't think, to explain them as, as well as you will, and okay. I'm curious about what actually happens. The adrenals get tired or the stress hormones, I mean, they can't produce anymore. Like, sure. what are the first things that happen? You know, I know maybe people way older than me, they've been experiencing the sympathetic stress mode forever, right? and they've been running from bills and bosses for 40 years, so right. they they they're way more tired, but right. say someone... I mean I've even heard of babies being born with adrenal fatigue now. Sure. which is which is crazy, but I guess let's start maybe a teenager or something trying to wake up to the world. Sure. Well, what the first step sure. is. Sure.
1: So I mean let me there's a couple of pieces here. So there's the concept of adrenal fatigue which is not conventionally recognized, right? In the let me, let's just go there because this is the most extreme. In the conventional world, you either have normal adrenals or they're completely blown out, typically because of autoimmune disease. It destroys the adrenals, um, and that's called Addison's disease. You don't have any adrenal. You have little or no adrenal function left. Um, and,
0: yeah, which I've heard is very rare.
1: Yeah. So that's the most extreme version of, of, if you will, adrenal fatigue. And that's, you know, those people need medication or they basically die. Um, you know, the first thing that's severe that comes along so the adrenals uh backing up one second if people don't know we're kind of the primary organ of of stress response again if a tiger is going to chase us if we need to do something stressful the signal goes to the adrenals that release hormones that prime us uh to fight or flight from something right so um uh, in Addison's, you know that it's completely uh, it's gone. So the person can't respond to fight or flight, and if they're not medically treated, um, they typically die. On the other end of the spectrum is uh, on the way other end is Cush, called what's called Cushing's disease, and that's you know severe hyper uh, severe too much. Uh, Cortisol, often that's a tumor in the brain that keeps signaling the adrenals to constantly be releasing cortisol. So we have this spectrum. In the conventional community, you're either fine, you have Addison's disease, or you have Cushing's disease, and there's no recognition of anything in between. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So we kind of, this concept came out of adrenal fatigue where, look, that stress response the ability of the adrenals to correctly secrete you know these stress hormones that are necessary for life is impaired but not so severely that it can be diagnosed as either addison's or cushing's disease right and so the concept was the old kind of version of of adrenal fatigue was that, well, you know, you keep stressing the adrenals and they sort of get tired and they wear out and then the levels of adrenal hormones fall. And we know that that kind of, that we know from a more medical perspective, anatomy and physiology and everything, that that's, that's way too simplistic of a concept. And, and so we have to boil this down to what really happens in the body and then kind of clinically or, or, you know, what we can see, and they're different from one another. So from a medical, like anatomy, physiology perspective, it's super complicated. It's all, you know, some people are saying it's, it's the brain-adrenal connection and that the, the part of the brain called the hypothalamus and the pituitary are two little control centers in the brain that tell the adrenals when and how much uh, to release cortisol and these other stress hormones and more than, than necessarily the adrenals per se being tired or broken it's often that 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 proper regulation of the adrenals is knocked off is not working correctly but it, it gets even more complicated with cortisol for example because cortisol is the active form turned on form of that hormone and then cortisone is the inactive turned off form of that hormone and we know the body can switch from cortisone to cortisol and back and forth and so you get this cortisol secreted by the adrenal gland or sent out into the body and then different tissues can turn it on or off um, as they want to Um, and so it gets it, it the the there's the clinical kind of what we see, and I'll tell you about that in a second, and then there's the inner workings that are going on. And, and this is one of the reasons this concept kind of gets trashed by the medical community is adrenal fatigue in its kind of old form is just way too simplistic to, to really describe all the reactions that are going on in the body, right? What? yeah. But, but from – so setting that aside because that's, that's like it's complicated stuff, you know, typically what happens is, you know, people – so we have what's called like stage one adrenal fatigue and there's no fatigue there. So that's like, you know, to pick, to pick on some people and don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm part of a CrossFit gym so don't get me wrong but I see this a lot. People get into CrossFit, they're super excited, they're loving it, you know, they feel great. And then they, put, they go from you know three days a week to five days a week to six days a week. And at first, they feel awesome. They get this huge sympathetic stress response in the body, right? Sympathetic nervous system gets turned on, pours, you know, hits the adrenal, says pour out cortisol and these other stress compounds, and people feel spectacular. So clinically, you look at it, their cortisol is running high. They're feeling good, but just like we were talking about with coffee a few minutes ago, they're kind of in an unsustainable place, like they they feel great. uh, But you the crash is coming. And you try and tell them, listen, you got to watch it here. And a lot of times they're like, I feel fine. I don't I don't need your advice. And you're like, I'm sorry, come and see me in like three months when you don't feel good anymore. You know? Wow. So you push that stress response to continue. And then, you know, the then Classically, what we described it is adrenal levels kind of start falling. People are tired, and they're stressed out, and they're not feeling so good anymore, and it progresses through stage two, stage three, and stage four in the in kind of the old classic model of adrenal fatigue. Till you get people in stage four, and they're kind of in a pseudo or kind of like Addison state. They're just wiped out. They have no energy. Um, You know, and they can't—any type of stress just sends them for a loop. They're totally stress intolerant, and they can't exercise anymore because they can't respond to that stressor and everything. So So.
0: what are people in mostly—
1: Well, you know, so the average person we'd say nowadays is doing a couple of things that's hurting themselves, right? So they're eating a nutrient-poor diet that is high in simple and refined carbs, so they're making their blood sugar spike and crash right and mm-hmm. so one of the jobs of the adrenals is to make sure that blood sugar doesn't fall so cortisol is what is the hormone that people are usually talking about with the adrenals and one of the jobs of cortisol is to help bring up blood sugar so you know when you make your blood sugar crash because you eat a lot of simple refined carbohydrates you call on your adrenal so blood sugar spikes and then crashes and then you call on your body, calls on your adrenals to, to release cortisol to, among other things, help bring your blood sugar back up again. So you're, you're stressing adrenals through your diet, then you're not sleeping adequately at night, so you're stressing your body there, not allowing complete relaxation, regeneration of the body, then, you know, we all of us, uh, most of us who work you know, have bosses and deadlines and various other things. So we have this chronic low-grade stress, uh, unlike, you know, our ancestors typically who, you know, didn't tend to suffer from that chronic low-grade stress. They just had periods of high stress, like, you know, when they were being chased and eaten and stuff like that. Um, And then if they got away, you know, things were a lot, uh, you know, a lot more relaxed for them. And most of us suffer, Chronic low grade stress. So I'd say, you know, most people I see are in, you know, are in that phase two who don't have a more serious problem are typically kind of in that phase two where the adrenals aren't in great shape, but um, it's for a lot of people, it's not too severe. So,
0: yes, I mean, can you live in a lifetime of stage two and get through it, or eventually does it progress to stage three, or is that just very dependent on your personal diet and stress regimen and meditation and all that?
1: Well, sure. I mean, it's all of that. Look, I mean, it's sort of like the whole, the stress and recovery. So stresses, whether they're physical, mental, or, you know, emotional, have to be balanced out by adequate recovery from those stresses, right? Mm. And so it's sort of like, I use the analogy of the bank account. I mean, the stresses are taking money out of your bank account, and the recovery Uh, the things you do for recovery are putting money back into that bank account and so it's a little bit of math if you will there if you live a very stressful lifestyle you know either you have to devote a tremendous amount of time and attention to your recovery uh, you know uh... Or it's going to bite you eventually. And then some people, of course, have, you know, are genetically, if you will, or constitutionally stronger in this area. I mean, some people just seem to be, again, this isn't like from a medical side, but just clinically, some people seem to be born with pretty weak adrenals and they blow out pretty fast. And other people are just kind of bull-like, if you will, and they just sort of keep going for a long time, you know. Yeah. So if you're kind of if your constitution's a little bit lighter or a little bit more fragile or weaker, if you will, you just have to take better care of yourself. And if you're if you're kind of like an you know an ox again, you're super strong and super resilient, you know, uh you can get away with a lot more. But there's a great, you know, traditional Chinese saying, Oh, well, I'm gonna butcher it. Uh but it's basically like you know you you look at it as a gift because typically what happens is those strong as a bull type people who you know never really had to worry about their health and it was never a concern for them and so they never did it they never watched their diet they never watched their stress level their sleep all these things they're the ones that typically just drop dead of like a heart attack and yeah. you know and the people the blessing in disguise of people who are a little more fragile, a little more sensitive is that they've had to watch their health and they've been aware of the impact that stress and sleep and exercise and a good diet and everything have on them. So, you know, they tend to do better if they pay attention and if they do the things they need to, they tend to fare better in the long term.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely probably more on the sensitive side. I mean, if I get... Uh, not like a a a lifetime movie way, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I, if I get seven hours of sleep versus eight and a half to nine, mm-hmm. I notice a huge difference in my. Cognitive ability, Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, damn, that makes a difference. Forty five minutes to an hour less is that profound? Whoa, that's crazy. So,
1: well, the other thing that I tell people a lot is, you know, partly you totally may be more sensitive, and there's a range of how long people need to sleep, and definitely some people need a lot more sleep than others. But the reality is, you know, I, I tell people a lot of things are common in our society, but not normal. And sleep, being in sleep deprivation, being continually tired is common, but it's not normal, right? So people don't get enough sleep at night. They go, you know, they, they use an alarm clock to force themselves to get up. And, and even I'm not one of those lucky people who, who never has to use an alarm clock. I definitely have to get up in the morning and go to work and everything. But, you know, I'm able, when my alarm goes off, I, I, I prioritize my sleep. Most days of the week. And when my alarm goes off, I, you know, I turn it off and get up. I'm not one of those people who has to, you know, has three alarms and has to, you know, hit snooze for 45 minutes and then finally drag themselves out of bed. Yeah. Oh.
0: yeah, Tim, I actually I actually wrote an article called Why You Should Trash Your Alarm Clock, uh-huh. but it's actually not about trashing your alarm clock. Uh-huh. It's just kind of a sneaky title, but it's um just recommending people switch to a more soft tone, yeah. like a, you know, like a piano melody mm. or or birds or something yeah. to where I I've seen people use like a freaking nuclear radiation leak <laughs> alarm right. as their tone. Right. It's like, dude, you really want to wake up to that? Right. Like Come on, well then you're setting yourself up. Sure.
1: I mean it's you you start a big stress response the moment you get up. But you know, some people, A, that's what they they're sleep deprived, and so they need something aggressive to jar them out of the sleep their body's trying to give them. And then by creating a stress response, it helps them wake up and get up in the morning. Not necessarily oh, wow. not good for you. I mean, it would be better. I'm a fan of and this doesn't work for everyone, but I do like the dawn simulators, the little alarms that actually, you know, they start off as this little red glow. And then over a few minutes time, they get brighter and, and brighter and more white and blue in color until they sort of kind of stimulate, simulate, excuse me, the uh, a sunrise. Um, and I think, you know, if you can get away with it, it's a much gentler way to wake up. And I agree with you, you know, nature sounds over a bullhorn are definitely... Definitely <laughs> a better way to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I I need to get one of those, you know, because I have my room super blacked out. Mm-hmm. And I actually found a, a silly little green LED that was poking out of one of these uh, protected plugs here in the bathroom. Uh-huh. I taped up. I taped up that bad boy because it was it was affecting me. But um,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, and and light sensitivity is a fascinating topic. Uh, you know, some people are super light sensitive, and other people. Not so much, but definitely we want to try and, you know, cut down that light exposure at night. Um, We're just seeing more and more. Talking about stress response, you know. I mean, your body is primed when it's light out to be up and active and, you know, awake and doing things. And then, you know, uh, when it gets dark out, then it's time to relax and calm down and get ready for bed and – You know, computer is – and I use this term lightly – is kind of addictive uh, with media, TV, movies, and uh, the ever-present internet. And, um, you know, our brains like being on and so a lot of us spend way too much time – Skype made a funny noise. All right, uh, spend way too much time, uh, you know, glued to these things to the detriment of of our sleep quality, you know.
0: Yeah, I want to – we're going to get a little bit in. I want to talk about how – This whole stress response and Mm -hmm. and getting burnt out affects other parts of the body, Mm -hmm. what the cascading effects are. But Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask, like, you know, as a clinician, what has changed for you since the Internet has just boomed? I mean, does everybody think they're a doctor?
1: (laughs) Well, that would be. So Dr. Google, as I call him, right, Dr. Google is both great and horrible. So I definitely have had to put people on internet vacations from Googling their whatever health condition ails them, uh, right, because um, they can't stick to a course of treatment because the new latest and greatest comes out and they jump ship and and are constantly changing everything, not giving what they're doing enough time to have a positive impact on their health, Um, you know, and... um, you know, you get pe- there, there's good information and bad information on the Internet. And it, it can be difficult for people without, you know, a background to kind of evaluate what they're looking at. And so I would say, you know, in general, I'm a huge fan of the Internet and um, and more information in general is better. But it's definitely contributed to patient confusion um, and people thinking uh, they know more than they really do. So just because you read up a little bit on something, I applaud you for educating yourself. But also, you know, that you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Very true. But is
0: it? Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I
1: was just going to say, but as a clinician, the Internet's awesome, man. It lets us connect. Uh, with other clinicians and see what they're doing and what's working for them. And uh, it connects us, I mean, instead of having to go to the college library and pull scientific studies to look at them, having access to them on the internet is like the most awesome thing ever.
0: Yeah, geez, man. We were in the Stone Age not long ago.
1: (laughs) Yep. Back when I went to college, man, just when the internet was, uh, was taking hold, you know, you wanted to write a research paper, First of all, no Wikipedia. Second of all, you had to go to the library and you had to physically pull the studies and then photocopy the pieces that you wanted on the copy machine with your big old roll of quarters and everything. So, and where we are now, it's cool.
0: Yeah, it's a trip. I, I mean, it's good and bad. Oh, you yeah. know, sometimes I wish, you know, I talked to my grandparents. Sometimes I wish I could go back to the 50s and dance to uh, Earth Angel or something, <laughs> you know.
1: Well, uh, you know, I mean, that's the the other, the always-on culture, I mean, again, talking about stress response, the always-on culture has its own problems. I mean, I don't want to go back, you know, it's the common, paleo wants to go back to the Stone Age. No, 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 I love my computer as much as anybody, but, you know, the always-on culture is really stressful, you know, Uh, and again, stress isn't what, you know, people don't always say, I feel stressed for there to be stress, Stress is pushing the system uh, to respond to it, right? So low blood sugar isn't something where someone goes, well, I feel stressed out. But the, it's something the body is to ha- has to respond to because it's not a good situation. And all of the stimulation by digital media uh, it, it is a stress,
0: you know? Very good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so what's the cascading effects here?
1: <clears throat> well, so, I mean, the biggest thing that people notice... When uh, So uh, with adrenal fatigue, as it proceeds along, is that their energy, you know, usually takes a turn, uh, does, not usually, takes a turn for the worse. So they're more fatigued, uh, you know, they're crashing throughout the day. So it's sort of like that, that, you know, um, not everyone who has an afternoon slump has adrenal fatigue. But people with adrenal fatigue definitely have slumps and crashes and their energy levels. Um, Usually they notice their resistance to infections uh, gets a lot worse, so they're getting sick a lot more. Uh, Their recovery ability from athletics, uh, you know, or working out gets a whole lot worse. Uh, So, you know, again, these informational substances, these hormones, you know, travel through our bloodstream to every part of our body. And when they're not working correctly, when they're not balanced out, it's going to have an impact on every single system of the body.
0: All right, now here's the question that everybody wants me to ask you. Sure. And I know they do because we're crazy <laughs> okay. and we just want to go take a bunch of pills. Sure. Where do supplements play a role in in your practice, not, sure. not uh, prescriptions, of course? Sure.
1: Well, there's a couple of things. So first of all, again, it's that balance between stress and recovery. And so you can, you know, I mean, so there are diff- some different approaches supplementally you can use to support – the adrenals and and the whole sys that whole system, uh, but ultimately, if you're not doing the lifestyle stuff, the diet stuff to balance out that equation between stress and recovery, at best, you're just holding yourself steady. So, yeah. you know, I would say, look, if you're in, you know, if you think you have adrenal fatigue or you've done some, you know, salivary cortisol testing that shows that you're that your adrenals are off base and you have all the symptoms and everything. Supplements have their place. And, and, t- and if you're doing the diet and lifestyle stuff that you need, then supplements can accelerate your recovery. And if you're not doing the diet and lifestyle stuff, then the best you can hope for is pretty much that they're going to hold you steady and let you, keep, you know, keep that imbalanced equation that you've got going.
0: Very good distinction, right
1: there. Yeah. So, a couple of things. I mean, you're going to run into three basic categories of supplements for the adrenals. The first is going to be um, glandulars. So, glandulars are glands, in this case, adrenal glands, that are taken from another animal, typically pigs, sometimes cows, um, you know, processed and put into a pill. So you're taking, you know, a little bit of adrenals um, and, and taking them. The second category are going to be some specific nutrients. So, for example, vitamin C and vitamin B5 um, are both used aggressively by the adrenal glands in the synthesis of hormones. So you can take some specific nutrients um, that, you know, quote-unquote are good for the for the adrenals the third category are going to be your various herbal medicines and those are frankly my favorites when dealing uh, with stress and adrenal fatigue hey mine too yeah good well we're on the same page there's a whole class of them known as adaptogens so adapt as in helping you to adapt to stressful situations um, a couple that you know people have probably heard about are like ginseng, for example, um, and rhodiola has become kind of popular, and people have heard about it before. But there's honestly there's a whole boatload of these compounds, and the literature on them or the scientific studies mostly came out of the former Soviet Union, which became really really interested in using these compounds. Um, so a lot of it isn't easily available um, in the Western world because a lot of it's still in Russian um, and unless you you know you can read medical Russian and everything, it can be hard to get your hands on some of the data. The Chinese also had done a lot of research so what the what the the former Soviets found out uh, was that you could take Uh, Lab rats, of course, but you could also take, you know, Olympic athletes. Uh, You could take cosmonauts, the guys going into space, Um, and you could take military recruits. And obviously, all of those. Uh, uh, individuals are under a lot of stress, and you could give them these adaptogenic compounds, these herbal medicines, um, and their bodies would hold up a lot better under those stressful situations uh, than the people who weren't receiving those compounds. So. So
0: I've I've had rhodiola in my arsenal for a long time. I think I even mentioned it on like my first or second episode or something because it was so mind blowing for me to discover it. I mean, my endurance, you know, I was out working out in the park, Mm -hmm. building hiking trails, man. And Mm -hmm. so I was, I was hiking all day, Mm -hmm. literally, I mean, literally eating beef jerky, (laughs) listening to health podcast and you know, running up hills and and mountains and shoveling and chopping up trees that fell on the path and throwing these huge logs out of the way, Mm -hmm. and it was intense, but man, I was taking Now Foods rhodiola at the time, which I've had pretty good success with, Mm -hmm. and uh, then I started getting into ashwagandha, Mm -hmm. and I I love that stuff too, but um, now... I guess to play devil's advocate. I've heard some people talk about the nature of herbs themselves is to extract heavy metals from the soil. And so do you see that as a potential problem?
1: Well, potentially. So I mean, plant different plants will extract, you know, I mean, obviously they grow in soil and they will extract what is in the soil. And so yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately it is uh, you know, there are some naturally occurring heavy metals. And then of course we have done a great deal to, uh, you know, pollute our, our air, water and soil. Um, so of course it's a concern, but again, it's on balance, you know, where you can, you try and get these, these herbal medicines well sourced, you know, some of the companies will test for various pollutants, others won't. So again, it's, it's a little bit of you pay, you get what you pay for kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a little bit of a balance, like you know, uh, um, toxicity, uh, which was the topic of my talk at the at the Ancestral Hall Symposium 2013, um, is something that you know none of us can completely get away from. Um, And we just have to, you know, and we can make ourselves crazy um, trying to, you know, get away from all of it. uh, But there are sensible things we can do, and we just try and reduce our exposure and everything. So I would say, you know, if you're if you're going to take these compounds, obviously try and do your best to get clean stuff that's uh, that's grown well. And you know, we've had some concerns just generally with um, some of the herbal medicines coming out of China um, because you know they have a big problem with pollution there and. Less regulated than they are here, so it can be it can be an issue. Yeah,
0: man, have you seen the freaking sign that they have in Beijing that simulates a sunrise and sunset? (laughs) Have you seen that? Yeah,
1: it's it's I've seen pictures. It's crazy, and uh, um, you know there are statistics about you know um, how many people are dying every year because of air pollution in China, and you know they're they're unfortunately uh, you know. They're going to pay a heavy price for, I mean, for their rapid modernization, you know? Yeah. So, um,
0: My dad, he's in China right now. Uh, he's got to go over there and do work over there. And I'm just like, God, I wish you did not have to go over there. Can you, is there things you can do? I mean, besides wear a freaking HEPA filter on your face? I mean, <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, well, a couple things. I mean, I would say that do, you know, do what you reasonably can to kind of limit your exposure. And so... Um, you know, if the day's bad, you may wear a mask. Honestly, um, there are little portable like air filters and stuff that you can wear. And I would consider doing that. And then, um, you know, I don't know if you want to go into some of that, but you know, you really would like to use some of, again, some of the herbal medicines, some of the nutrients that sort of, that really upregulate your body's detox capacity so that it yeah, just Yeah,
0: let's go into that.
1: <laughs> okay. Part of the point of my talk was to say, you know, there's, there's a lot of scammy stuff out there on detox and a lot of people want to blame every problem on detox, but you know, there is, our bodies really do detoxify or, you know, process and get rid of potentially harmful compounds, you know, ones that both our bodies make itself and ones that we get from the outside. And so, um, We want to use some of the herbs and nutrients that support those processes. And so, I mean, on the basic level, the detox um, pathways are really protein-dependent. They use a lot of uh, amino acids from protein. So we want to make sure that people are eating an adequate amount of protein. Then, you know, a lot of people have heard of an herb called milk thistle. That's a great one. There are a number of others. There are, um, you know... Uh, you don't want to be iron deficient because uh, a lot of the what's called the cytochrome enzymes, there are enzymes that break down a lot of stuff, um, need iron. So if people are anemic, um, they're probably not going to be detoxing correctly. And then one of the kind of low hanging or easy things is there's is a compound called glutathione. Um, glutathione is made, normally made by the body. Um, and it is used in a lot of these steps to detoxify things and protect the body. And you can either take, you can directly take glutathione or um, one of its precursors is called N, uh, N as in Nathan, A is in Allen, C as in CAR, NAC or N-acetylcysteine, um, stimulates the body to produce uh, glutathione or is the cofactor the body needs to make glutathione so uh, wow, yeah see
0: I've, mm-hmm. Paul Jaminet because see I I, yep. I see that he recommends that on his blog mm-hmm. all the time so I guess primarily he's just doing that to just enhance I mean now glutathione is not just important for detox too though I mean it's a huge antioxidant sure. in general right sure
1: so it's gonna do both I mean it's it's a necessary component of the the processes the detox but it's a big protector of the body. So, you know, in in free radicals and oxidative damage, glutathione plays a really important role. So, yeah.
0: How cool. Man, it's so it's so awesome to talk to you. I feel like I could go for three more hours, ah, but I yep. I guess eventually I have to find a a stopping point. Now, um when it comes to adaptogens, yeah. and I've asked several people this, are they long-term? I mean, are you at risk for Uh, maybe hiding your burnout uh, by taking adaptogens? Well,
1: I would say, you know, again, it's sort of like in that regard, it's sort of like the coffee thing. If you're living an imbalanced lifestyle, you could fix it, but you choose not to and just use adaptogens uh, instead, then you are just, you know, propping yourself up, basically. Right? however you know if you're doing i'm a big fan of adaptogens i'll be honest i take them on a regular basis they're in in my opinion they're indicated for long-term use and i would you know do you need to take them no can they be helpful absolutely so i do my very best to watch my food to get enough sleep at night you know um to get my exercise um, and make it reasonable—not too much exercise, not too little—and um, to try and watch my stress. But like everybody else, I have a job, I have kids, I have you know, a, I have a house payment, I have all this stuff. I have to commute in traffic, so like all of us, um, you know, I have this stress load that is evolutionarily, you know, mismatched with what my body was designed to deal with. Yeah. So part of it is. Again, making sure you're getting enough sleep, adequate exercise. You know, I'm one of those people who struggles with the meditation practice and just doing it right. But I, well,
0: hey, yeah. are are you are you coming to to uh, Austin next month?
1: I I can't make it. Unfortunately, oh, yeah, I was I was hoping to get to the uh, Paleo FX, but I'm not going to be able to make it. So,
0: oh well, that's okay. Well, hey, um, you're in Washington, man. Yeah. You know, there's float there's float tanks up there. You need to go check out a float tank as soon as you can.
1: Okay. Totally cool. I've heard about them before. They're, they look pretty fun.
0: So. I, I'm really into it, yeah. and man, it's the shortcut to meditation or for lazy people or for people <laughs> that don't believe meditation's real uh-huh. or any of that. Yeah. Go in there. I promise you it'll be one of the top three most profound relaxing experiences of your life.
1: Interesting. Well, I definitely- so
0: I hope, yeah, make a note and, and look it up online. Go to Yelp, and then you could just look up um, I don't know, float spa, float tank, and, and I'm sure there's one relatively close to you, man. I promise
1: I it'll Im- change your life. I would imagine so. Yeah, I'll check it out. I definitely will. That's interesting stuff.
0: Go ahead. I yeah. feel like you had a thought you had to finish. Oh,
1: I was just going to say, you know, so you do what you can, you, you know, again, if your basics aren't in play, you know, you're, you're going to be in trouble. But But even so, even though my, like for me, my life, my basics are pretty solid, I find, you know, I use adaptogens, uh, in a little bit lower dose as just a general health-boosting measure. And then, you know, what I tell patients is if we're, if you're kind of on this maintenance regimen um, and then things go south or you get a lot of stress in your life and you crank up the adaptogens just trying to protect your body, you know, you don't want to dig a big hole and then have to, you know, a lot of patients come to see me, they're really sick, they're burned out, and it's sort of like okay you're standing at the bottom of a pretty big hole and we got to fill this thing in to get you back to be healthy again so i consider long term use of adaptogens just to be part of my preventative medicine um you know program
0: cool uh, yeah do you have any um top secret uh protocol <laughs> for like for like pre speech or anything or like um you know when you know you're going to be in a stressful event, or it's going to be a super bad day, or anything like that.
1: One that people can get um, that I've had good results with is the Gaia. That's the G A I A adrenal support product. It's a combo uh, product, and I've had it work uh, really, really well for people. So if you want to, if you want to to try some adaptogens, that's one you could try. So I'll just, uh, I, you know, if I know I'm going into a really stressful situation. You know, I'll crank up my adaptogens, and then I may or may not add, um, if I'm going to do any supplemental, I may add in um, something called theanine, which Uh, is...
0: Yeah, I I love theanine.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's an extract from green tea. Um, It generally just has a nice calming effect on the brain without being sedating, so it doesn't make you sleepy. Uh, It just tends to calm everything down, so... Yeah. Do you use sun theanine? Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a few different products, but sun theanine is the, the raw material that it that it comes with. I just find um, a lot of the products out there dose low on theanine, and so um, if, if you get good results from it, that's great. Uh, but sometimes I find people don't get good results with theanine because the doses in their products are like 25 milligrams of theanine is probably for most people not going to be sufficient, you know.
0: I've actually heard of people getting anxiety from theanine too, which is kind of weird. But I guess that just goes to show that certain things are not for everybody. Right. Why? Why would that even happen? Do you have any, yeah. an, any ideas?
1: That's a good question. Uh, you know, at least in theory, that shouldn't happen. Um, you know, uh, theanine, uh, as we understand it, typically boosts the levels of a horn, of a of a brain chemical called GABA, which is. Uh, um, relaxing in nature, um, it's kind of like, I would imagine it's kind of like there's an herbal medicine called valerian. Uh, a lot of people use it to sleep. And about 80, 90% of people who take it uh, get sleepy. About 10% of people who take it, it has the exact opposite effect and they get totally wired off of it. Wow. So I would I don't know the specific reason, but I would imagine... That it probably, uh, and this is a guess because I don't know, that it inhibits uh, the the sedating quality and ends up pushing them in a more uh, to, in a, to to be more stimulated. But it just wow. it just goes to show the the brain is complicated and it's very the balance is uh, is complicated and you know really what works for some people uh, doesn't work for others you know
0: yeah for sure yeah v- valerian root will also give you some of the craziest dreams of your life man i'll tell you <laughs> i don't know if you've had nightmares on it but i've had nightmares and for some reason it's not like vivid dreams in a good way mm. the most stuff that i see people are having nightmares mm. on valerian for some
1: reason Uh well most of the people who take it i haven't seen that problem with but definitely some people so you know a lot of this uh, for good and for bad, you know, a lot of this is try it and uh and if it if it doesn't work for you, you know, don't persist in, in, in doing something that just because someone else says it's great, if it doesn't work for you, uh, you know, doesn't mean you should keep doing it, basically. Right. So yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I think it's about time for us to wrap this up. Okay. I have some some delicious beef that I need to go cook in the fridge. Lovely yeah but but uh man it's really awesome talking to you i appreciate you taking the time to do this
1: absolutely evan well i appreciate you having me on i hope um we kind of rambled around i hope you know for all the listeners that this was useful and we covered some good pieces and um you know uh, speaking to you guys if you felt that i was uh that i had good stuff to contribute you know uh, let evan know and i'm happy to come back on and talk about some other things uh some other time if if that works out
0: so. Oh, of course. They will, man. Yeah, every show's like that. Cool. They uh, they know my brain now. It's kind of weird. You know, I was, I was sitting here thinking, mm-hmm. like, the whole time you're talking. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is so intense, man, because mm-hmm. we've talked for an hour, and this is the first, or I don't know how long it's been now, mm-hmm. um, but people could, I mean, people probably feel like they know us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the way I ask questions, the way you answer, the way we kind of joke around, like, you can... It's just so crazy because there's never been a time to where you could connect on such a personal level with people yeah. and actually distribute it. Yeah. You know? It's it's so awesome.
1: Yeah. Again, that's the awesome part of the internet, man, is it lets people get out there and share information and connect in ways that they they've never been able to do before. So it's it's yeah. it's a great thing. Just just watch your stimulation level. And if there's one thing you take away from this, it's you got to balance out your stress and your recovery. And if your stress, if too many pieces are piled in your stress side, eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. You know, whether you go into adrenal fatigue or God forbid one day you just, you know, drop dead of a heart attack, like they you know, it's going to catch up with you. So on the most sensible level, watch what you eat, you know, eat good, clean, nutrient dense food get some exercise, make sure you're sleeping enough at night, watch your stress levels and get out in nature and sunshine, you know, connect with friends and family and people, you know, that you care about and care about you. And, you know, consider some of these adaptogenic, you know, herbal medicines as a as a possibility and if you're if you're way more wasted than that, if you're in a bad burned out place, you know, uh, my two cents is get a good practitioner, you know, to help you. Find someone that you you trust who seems knowledgeable, uh, you know, and and, and ha, you know, come up with a plan together with them and and work your stuff because you know people can be really adrenally burned out and they can't they can get better they can feel better again, uh, but often it, it's a process. You don't dig yourself out from a really deep hole overnight.
0: Oh, for sure, yeah, that's what I. You you did a great job there. You know if. If you've been a miserable, crazy, freaked out person who speeds too much for 40 years and all of a sudden you think you're going to be fixed just by listening to this episode and doing what we talked about overnight, you're crazy. Yeah. You know? Well,
1: I'm sorry. I wish, I totally wish you could, but that's just not the reality. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So so where
0: yeah. where can people keep up with
1: you? Sure so you know last but not least I mean uh, so my practice is called Asp- aspire uh, to like to aspire to something aspire natural health and it's aspirenaturalhealth.com if you want to check out my website. Um, I post most to Facebook so if you want to catch me there you can go to Facebook and it's the same aspire Natural health. Um, you can see, uh, try to post almost every day interesting tidbits, scientific studies, and various other things for people. And then it's also, it also goes to Twitter where people can find me, at Dr. Dr. Uh, Tim Gerstmar, N.D. So you can catch me, any of those places.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, we will send people that way. Thanks. And uh, I already checked out your Facebook, and you, you have a bunch of cool and uh, sometimes funny articles on there. Thanks. So
1: Try to keep it interesting. There's lots of great stuff out there. Um, and if, again, if we can all educate ourselves, you know, we can all as a we, we, as a country, we're facing some tough times health wise. And the, the, you know, statistics going forward for the next 10 and 20 years are pretty bleak. You know, yes. they are not good. And the more we as individuals and groups can educate ourselves and can, you know, can can go against that trend. Uh, the better it is for us as individuals, for our small communities that we, you know, the people we love and live with, and the bigger community as a whole. Because um, otherwise, you know, the, the path that, that we're going to take is, is not good.
0: Yeah, Tim, unfortunately, I feel like, I mean, I, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. man, but I, I feel it in the air. I feel like this is the calm before the storm.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, if you want to, I don't know.
0: Am I on to something or am I losing it, man?
1: Well, look, I, we're at a time of great change you know, and we're, you know, not to get all super heavy or anything, but we're kind of coming to a place where we have to decide collectively which direction we're going. And, you know, if you, I don't know about you, but, you know, seeing parents get older, seeing grandparents get older, you know, seeing the medical system, both the great things it does and its tremendous limitations, uh, you know, it's tough. And yet, We have the capacity to go in a different direction. And I think this can be very empowering and and educational and people can learn, you know, the simple but not easy steps that they can take. Again, the things that they can control, the the differences they can make in their lives, you know. Yeah. So –
0: yeah, I'd like to pause time, but I guess it doesn't work that way. My grandpa says you can't you can't think like that. So. No,
1: unfortunately, you can't. There's some there's some tough stuff coming up ahead for us as a as a species, but there's some really cool stuff too. So I I tend to be optimistic. I think we're going to go where there's going to be tough times, but I think we're gonna we're gonna do okay. But um, you know, we can each do our we can each do our own part.
0: Yeah, that that's a good. I think that's good for your heart too, man, and you know, to really keep that optimistic attitude cuz you know, I've had uh Dr. Jack Cruz, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen and heard him. He's been on my podcast a few times mm-hmm. and you know, him and a couple other people are like no way. You know the EMF, the cell phone towers. This is a mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. sixth sixth extinction event coming. Mm. And I'm just like, man. Hopefully, we're not going to have to go that far. I feel like humans will figure things out. So
1: I think we it is in our capacity to do so. I truly believe that, and we each you know none of us can tackle it alone, but together we can make a big difference. And so you know, I think instead of focusing on the doom and gloom, you focus on what we can do.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I will be visiting you at your uh, rhodiola and uh, (laughs) ashwagandha farm. They're
1: very good. I wish. I wish. They're great. Great rhodiola, ashwagandha, ginseng, Siberian ginseng, uh, holy basil. All those compounds are fantastic and more. So there's a lot uh, out there we can use in a really beneficial way. And I hope people will, uh, will look into it more.
0: Yeah, we'll create a health army. If I were to ever create an army, I'd have everybody on all of
1: those. Yes, well, it's certainly, you know, again, if your life is stressful, uh, it doesn't excuse you from doing the fundamental things, but it helps. It really yep. helps.
0: Yep. Amen. All
1: right. Awesome. Thank,
0: thanks so much. Thanks, Evan. All right. That was Doctor Tim Gerstmar. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know we go. All different places that my mind goes, but that's the most enjoyable way for me to run the show, so I hope you enjoy it. You know, I was looking the other day on Stitcher. I don't check on there very much. I know the podcast is available on Stitcher, but I saw that the average listening time is 35 to 40 minutes, and so me personally, I listen to other podcasts that are shorter than mine, some that are longer, and so I'm curious what you think about my show, so if you would go to my website, not just paleo dot com, sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Like I said, I redesigned the website, so you'll see the newsletter box right there. Sign up for my newsletter because I put out really personal and in depth stuff each week. So connect with me there, and you can use the contact form on my website also. And let me know. Hopefully, I can hear from at least 15 or 20 of you. Let me know what you think about the length of the show, uh, maybe what topics I haven't covered, what you would like to go deeper into. I have plenty of shows lined up, but I always love your input. Hopefully, an hour and a half or a show like this isn't too long. If it is, hell, I'll shorten it. You know, it's whatever you all feel like is most helpful. Maybe your brain... maybe your brain gets fried at 30 minutes and then you would just like it to end. So me personally, I have a pretty long fuse on my brain with this information and uh, it just it really excites me to talk about this stuff. So it's nothing for me to do an hour, hour and a half. So um, like I said, I'll see you back at NotJustPaleo.com and go ahead and join the newsletter and we'll keep in contact. So talk to you soon and maybe see you this weekend at Paleo FX. Take care. Bye. He acts like it's a good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss her, girl her, and leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible news. Why I'm in mean the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her cry, her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let
1: me be the one that loves you better.